Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable about a man who had two sons. The younger of them did the unthinkable and asked for his inheritance early. He might as well have said, I wish you were dead. Amazingly, the father obliges this outrageous behavior and divides his wealth. And scripture tells us that not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. It didn't take long for the young son's plans to fall apart. There was a famine, he was broke. Desperate for work, he worked in the fields with pigs and unclean animal. He was so destitute and uncared for that he longed for what the pigs were eating. It says he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Eventually, the young son came to his senses and realized that it was in his father's home that he had plenty, more than enough. So he planned to return home and prepared a speech to ask for a place as a hired servant, surely all that he deserved. But, Scripture tells us, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son started to give his speech, but the father didn't even let him finish before ordering the servants to dress him in the best robe, place a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and prepare for him the fattest calf and most joyful of celebrations. But when the older son heard the celebration, he became very angry. He refused to join the party. The father pleaded with him to see it his way, but the older son yelled that he had done everything exactly right and had never been given a thing. The father assured him that he had always been with him, and everything he had was his also. But now was a time for celebration. I love this parable for the same reasons that everyone else does. It's so rich. A selfish yet repentant young man, a petulant and prideful older brother, a merciful and loving father. I've been all of these characters, quick to squander, slow to celebrate, yearning to be forgiven, reluctant to hand it out, longing, pining, waiting for love to return, and racing to meet it when it does. From every angle, the story grabs me. I've taken too much of what wasn't ever mine and lived in excess just to realize that I had it all wrong. I've worn my righteousness on my sleeve, but not in my heart. I have focused on how the love in my life was packaged, concentrating only on presentation and rejected the beauty of struggle, insisting that one shouldn't need a second chance and that pretending to have it all right was actually the more beautiful way. I have returned home with lengthy speeches prepared to just be scooped up by a lover who didn't care to hear. The pure of heart rejoice at the telling of this story. We root for the success of the underdog knowing that his success is ours also. His failures actually boast the beauty of his return. God's running reception, encouraging us to trust him fully, pursue him more, this time with great, great thanks and a story well told for not leaving anything out, however battered, however bruised it may be. I'm in a beautiful Bible study. 
the women it includes, were divinely jigsawed, and together we make up something bigger than just ourselves. Together we make up a body. And our body laughs too loud and talks too much, and sometimes she says nothing at all. Sometimes she's full of glorious wisdom, and sometimes she searches with her best intentions. Sometimes she's far too much, and sometimes she's not near enough, but together we learn and stretch and grow into our truest selves, who God would have us be. On Wednesday mornings for the last two years, we've lamented the demands of our culture. We've wrestled with the best ways to serve our God, our families, our neighbors, and ourselves all at the same time. We've complained about our motherly duties. We've been cynical about how perfectly nice people can be so irritating on social media. We've wondered if our kids' sports schedules should be causing this much strife. Together, we have grieved insensitive husbands, lost children, demanding parents, ill siblings, competitive friends, exhausting extended family, non-believing loved ones, hateful thoughts, busy schedules, and impure hearts. In an attempt to get down to the brass tacks of it all, simplicity, we were discussing one morning what really matters. What's the meaning of our life here? After all, we only have one. Is it joy? Because what brings joy? Is it comfort? Our culture would certainly have us think so. But as much as we complained to one another, we decided that pain-free living wasn't actually one of our goals. It might be how we're culturally trained to live, but no, comfort, it wasn't our answer. That led us to wonder if we should really just quit complaining about the ways life is uncomfortable. A long conversation ensued. Should we be groaning this much? Together we came to this. Joy, we think. It's intimacy. The answer to joy is intimacy. So no, we would not quit complaining because our groaning, well, it connects us to God. One part of the body offered that perhaps intimacy is believing that God is big enough to deal with our situations as we're actually experiencing them, not just how we might pretend to. Another part of the body wondered if perhaps the answer to more intimacy is having confidence in a powerful God who doesn't force us into pretending that we're just fine. Maybe the answer she experimented to truer joy is believing that Christ is enough to deal with the problems inside our souls because he knows, just as well as our longings imply, that heaven is not here and that we are not there. And until then, nothing is going to be quite right. And yet another body part shared that perhaps in the meantime, True joy is acknowledging an emptiness that we simply cannot fill, will not fill, and then turning it over to him. We agreed, although it seemed counterintuitive that joy is entering into pain instead of sidestepping it and acknowledging that because we aren't home yet, we are 100% powerless. Joy, real joy, we concluded, is learning how to invite him right there where we are, powerless. Together, we were convinced that what God wants out of us, who he calls beloved, is intimacy. And intimacy is the truth. And then one second chance after another as we try to get it right. What God wants is our whole heart, not just the presentable parts. Based on what the body accomplished that day, we made a pact. In uniquely fingerprinted ways, we all took something with us about how to be more intimate because intimacy, we decided, was the secret to joy. It was obvious to all of us then that life is about intimacy with the loving Father, and the groaning was actually an important part of it. In a way, it was where our story started, paving the way for more and more honesty as God proved himself more and more faithful to the troubled hearts of his beloved.
my uncle and I swap music because we like poetry and mandolins and impressing each other with our hipness. After this Bible study in particular, where we were discussing intimacy, one of the songs he sent me hit me in a tender place. There was something special about it because I thought it described well what our hearts knew that morning. It's a beautiful song on its own, but at that exact moment, it became divine with its message about the man that nobody sees. As I listened, the song was describing intimacy, what I had just talked about with brilliant women for the last hour and a half. As I had this God moment, I was holding my hands high to this powerful poetry. Both hands were raised at a red light, and I was singing at the top of my lungs. My car often gets the truest versions of myself, both the good and the bad. It's where I'm most likely to give my most honest worship and where I'm most likely to cuss somebody out. Presumably both because nobody's looking. And there it was. The woman that nobody sees. I was experiencing those very lyrics at that very moment and it all tied in with what our body had just accomplished. The name of the song is When There's No One Around. Intimacy. Experiencing it all, pretty or not, tears came as I laughed about how God can be so clever wrapping up everything so neatly the way only he can do it. I felt like he told me that morning in three different ways that all he wants from me is all of me. And I got it. Intimacy, I'm discovering, it's in the details. It's in acknowledging what makes me uncomfortable and inviting God there, listening for his voice, examining his teachings, and then doing what he would have me do. Intimacy isn't in leaving anything out or hoarding my favorite part of my story and then keeping it all to myself, or denying the truth and insisting God just mind his own business. Intimacy is approaching every endeavor, every victory, every heartache with the question, how might I find you here, Lord? In the prodigal son, it so completely tells all of love's story. A young son given into prostitutes and returning home covered in stench of an unclean animal? That's a little gritty, right? Or a pouting older brother resentful of all that God's willing to hand out to those who are undeserving, yelling, mine, 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 like a preschooler? It's a little undistinguished, isn't it? A hopeful and waiting father, willing to pull up his robe and sprint after his beloved who is still a long way off and then cover him in kisses. It's a little unsettling, isn't it? But Jesus' longest parable tells the whole story, regardless of how our polished culture feels about the details covering something up, it's the same thing as lying. And it has the same effect on our spirit. And I've heard that there are things that won't be put off long. The sun, the moon, and the truth. The prodigal son realized that his father had better ideas about how to nourish him. And he didn't have to run away from home in order to groan. He could groan right where he was and know that his father had compassion on him. And sharing the struggle might actually have been a faith builder as his father fattened calves and smothered him in kisses when he walked his path aware his father's ways were better than his own. If the prodigal son would have just shared his troubles, willing to be intimate, would he have ever had to leave? If he would have trusted his father to be able to handle his complicated emotions, would there have ever been anything to confess? Whatever the case, this story is made beautiful for the finding out. Let us all give up foolish desires that leave us dirty and hungry and far from home, trusting that intimacy is more important for the joy that it promises. From the book of Psalms, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. This is my friend, Catherine. 
She is a steady stream of wisdom, the perfect combination of sassy and sweet, and with every conversation brings joy to my soul. Well, we just prayed together, Catherine. I know. Good job. <laughs> it always makes me feel like... You just, just a little invitation yeah, to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, okay, so you and I did Genius together. We did. This is how we officially met, but I feel like we probably should have crossed paths before then. I yeah. mean, Aggieland, Cayamega, Catholic, it's like our circles keep getting smaller and smaller. God was like, can you two meet each other already? For the love? Like, what else do I have to do? But I like when I first met you, you were I think you were lost looking for the room. Uh-huh. And they're like, Catherine, text her. You go find her. Yes. And I come out in the hallway and like, we like immediately hugged. Yes. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever done that with someone that I've never, just sharing a text well, message you with. Were, you were kind of this motherly figure and I was frazzled. <laughs> I think I might have like fallen into your arms. Okay, so you and I did Genius Conference together. We did. Wasn't that a special experience? I have never really experienced anything quite like that that was so supportive and so inclusive and so holy. Yes. And not even just of the speaking panel. I mean, because that was was remarkable. But even the attendees, there was something so communal about the whole experience. We are just living life together, you know, and it's hard and it's holy and let's just help each other out. It felt really, it felt like a really safe, meeting space yeah and I don't think like half the people either fell into being there that weekend or just showed up or oh at the last minute it was certainly orchestrated by the Holy Spirit it's pretty awesome the Lord gave Liv a vision and she said yes and she just saw it through to the end and the reward was plentiful I just, I loved that. Um, women's ministry can make me a little twitchy sometimes. I was just getting ready to say the same thing. Like sometimes <laughs> you don't women, know. <laughs> sometimes women stay in their corner of the sandbox. Yeah, and they're not always super great about playing nicely with others. Yeah. but that was really. There's no throwing of sand in there. No, it was and even if it's in their own thoughts, you know. I mean, I feel like yeah. we we're uh, you know later enough in life to not be like overtly rude, but we might have ugly thoughts. I just, it, the whole thing felt so pure, you know, and I love the and both of God. I feel like a lot of times he uses contradiction to show his grandiosity. And so this sounds like a contradiction for something to be both fierce and tender, but it was both of those things yeah. and it was beautiful because of it. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't detect jealousy. Like it was so yeah. It was really beautiful to see other women encouraging other women, not because they felt that they should or they had to or that it was expected, but because that's what they truly felt like they should do. And there was no, well, quid pro quo, like I did this and now you must do this. It was, I don't know, except to say the Holy Spirit was most definitely present. I have chills just thinking. And we were open to the Holy Spirit. I really loved your presence. I don't, you know, I mentioned earlier you were kind of a, a mother figure to me in a frazzled moment. It was just, it was probably maybe more of a shepherd because we're not, you're certainly not old enough to, <laughs> to do that. <Yeah. laughs> but, but I, I mean, we nurture yeah, yeah, one yeah. another, right? Yeah. We, we mother one another. And I just, I feel like as far as the panel was concerned, you brought so much stability. I loved your talk. You closed us up. You, you know, you ended the, the weekend in such um, a resound, like resolute way you went up there and you told the truth and there were no gimmicks. It was just, this is, this is the truth. And you stood firm in it and you delivered it with such authority. I just knew I'm like, we, we're going to be friends. I was sitting there like, we're going to be friends. 
Well, and I loved how, first of all, I loved your pants. You had the cutest, y'all, I know this is like radio or podcast you can't fully appreciate, Mm. but they were yellow Mm -hmm. and super cute. And Mm. not many people can rock yellow, but Mm. you did it well. So that's the... I I did like my pants too. Yeah. All right. That's good. So we agree on that. But I don't know. You just, um, you have a great presence about you, Mm. Allison. Like you love Jesus. And you love him without apology. Mm, thank you. And you share that love without being preachy. That's oh, a, thank you. That wow. is a tender line, mm-hmm. and you did it very well. Oh, thank you so much. That's a beautiful compliment. I'm going to tuck that one away. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, let's talk about joy. I feel like all throughout Scripture, there's joy. Like, we're told that it's coming in the morning. We're told that we should be shouting about it. We're told that it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so with all of this emphasis on it, it's probably a good idea to understand what it is and what it isn't. So what's your, what's your take on, on joy right off the top of your head? Well, joy is not happiness. No, right. That's the first, (laughs) um, for me, I think I'm able to feel both joy and sorrow at the same time, Mm -hmm. whereas I can't feel happiness and sorrow at the same time. So I can feel the joy of the Holy spirit and also be sad about certain circumstances, but joy just feels very pure to me, like just pure, unadulterated joy. Like I think of my kids, you know, just like when something awesome happens and you can just see like their eyes and you're like, that's total joy (laughs) because it's, it's not been manipulated by something physical or something material. It's just pure. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of times we can, you know, and maybe it does, it can feel preachy when we're hearing it all the time. I mean, everybody's kind of claiming to speak for God. And so, I don't know. I might edit that out because it sounds rude. But I feel like we, we, with curated Instagram feeds or what have you about joy, 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 and everything looking so joy, joyful while we're reading scripture about it with the, with the perfect picture or whatever, we can think that it is a trivial experience, that it's this very, you know, superficial condition when really I think that it comes from profound peace like you were saying that it, that joy is really more of of a peace in the midst of because we're promised all of the the ugly things we're promised grief we're promised suffering we're promised to be misunderstood but to be joyful in that is is different than like the superficial experience of it yeah I love um I mean, I, I think sometimes we always think of joy as associated with Christmas. Like you think about the songs and all the things that go along with that. But I don't know. Like I think it's the anticipation of knowing what's coming next. Like you've yeah. got, you experience profound suffering or profound sorrow, and then God gives you a taste of joy. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, okay, so now I know what the suffering was for, or I know what that right. is for. yes. Because I've felt joy and... I think in certain dark moments of life, I think it's the joy that pulled me through because happiness is, for, for me, it feels very fleeting. I always, yeah. I always hesitate to tell people that I'm happy because I can turn happiness on and off pretty quick. Ooh, that's good. It's a shift of emotion, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. I think that's what I was trying to say before is that it's, happiness is really just a shift of emotion. Yeah. And I can even strong arm that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can be, if I'm like, <laughs> I can be happy. Yeah. And I'm walking into a party. Here we go. <laughs> but I can't fake joy. 
Yeah. You can't fake that one. That's so good. Not to diss on God's happiness, because I know he's probably like you're throwing happiness under the bus, but... No, happiness is good. Happiness is good, but yeah. joy is pure for me. Um, I think that joy comes from... In my, I'm thinking of dark times. I want to hear about specific dark times in in a second, if so you can be thinking of that while I'm saying this. Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that for me, even in like air quote bad emotions or bad times, I put air quotes because I don't, I don't think that there are any bad emotions. I think that they're there for us to feel and for us to lean into. And when we try to lop off the bad ones, I think we inadvertently end up lopping off the good ones too. I mean, I think you need to experience deep grief and sorrow to experience the great joy that comes later. You were kind of saying that too. But um, in those air quote bad times, I think that joy for me is just a comfortable knowing that God is near. And so if that's not changing, then we can do what Paul says, which I think he can be a little zealous about it, frankly. I'm not sure Paul and I would be good friends. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Paul. Um, but I think that it's it's obviously perfectly legitimate to experience mourning or sorrow or grief. You know, and, and you dive into that. Like, let's lean into that. Let's not try to, you know, skirt that. But there's a comfortable knowing God is near. And there's the joy in it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think as human beings, we're afraid of grief and sorrow. We're afraid mm-hmm. of pain. Um, because it puts us into a position where we're out of control. Yes. And I think you can only experience a true relationship with Jesus if you've been in the valley. Mm -hmm. And I'm not advocating that people go out and like have a preemie or have someone close to them pass away or to lose their job. But all those things will happen to us at some point. Everyone has... Um, a deep valley of sorrow coming or has come or will come again. But I think that's an invitation yeah. from Jesus. Right. And it doesn't feel like an invitation when it happens. But looking back, so what I'm referring to is our fifth kiddo was born premature. So when I look back at that, I can say, oh, that's when things finally, like that's when I finally saw Jesus for who he really was in the very best of ways, but, but that he didn't, he wasn't just talking a good game. Like, Hmm. Hey, I'm really here for you. If you ever need anything, give me a call like that friend. But when we hit our deepest, darkest Valley, he really was there. Like he was, and he was the only one that was constantly there. Yeah. I had beautiful friends, but no one was Jesus Yeah, because no one can be Jesus but him. Yes. So I think my relationship with him became real finally. Yeah. Wow. It takes a while. It took me 35 years to finally figure that out. Mm. Not that I'm 35 now. Luke's 10, <laughs> so I should probably clarify. But it, it, uh, you, have to, you have to be basically on your knees before I think that you can know who God really is. Yeah. I, my best friend lost her mom too soon. And um, I guess we were early 20s, 2021. She was her mom's primary caregiver. And she looks back on that time with fondness. And she looks back on that time and misses it in a way because God was so near. You know, there's that idea of the thin veil. I think a lot of people have have referred to it as is where it's just like you could just reach up and poke it. He's just right there. And so to miss that nearness of God, I don't know that he's ever near to the brokenhearted. Yeah, that makes me tear up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there were some moments that 
I would sit in that hospital bed and think, nobody gets it. There's only one person in the whole world that gets it. And at least he understood. Like, I didn't have to. I mean, I could articulate it, but I didn't have to. Yeah. Like, it was almost like a an extreme heart connection because as soon as I felt it, he knew it. Yeah. It was beautiful. I mean, mm. it was so hard. And we wrestle <laughs> against that. What is that? I, I remember. Well, I'm a control freak. Yeah, so it, that was it hard is. for it's me. Control, and control uncertainty is a myth. We know that. There is nothing that we can <laughs> effectively change except the present moment. We are out of control. Face it. <laughs> but yeah. I remember in a period of darkness, um, I, rem- I had an, an image and it was... I was yearning for a really nurture, it's funny that we started out this way, I was yearning for a nurturing hug. I needed to be embraced with nurture. And I was, I was envisioning like the Lord trying to do that with me, like tuck me under his wing as it were. And I was wrestling against it. And he's like, little girl, would you just be still? Would you just relax? Let me take care of you. Let me near, let me into this space. And I think that it is control and fear that keeps us rigid against it. Well, because when you're out of control, that means that you have to abandon your will to somebody else's. That's right. And that's not fun. Yeah. I I don't trust that you're going to do this right. I have this plan, (laughs) Jesus, and it's really like color coded and divided by my my world. It's got tabs and everything. And Jesus is like, so we're going to put that in the fire with, you know, the three, um, the three guys. And, um, we're just going to burn that right up. So I just, I think for the first time I finally realized that I couldn't organize my spiritual life. Mm. That our Christianity is not something to use under our perfect control. Right. That, that right there. Yeah. That should be my t-shirt. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. You know, there's this idea of a whipping storm, right? You know, and there's thunder and there's lightning and the wind. And if you are in a small, fragile cardboard box, then you have every right to be afraid. But if you are in a house with a strong foundation, with thick, safe walls, you've experienced storm after storm after storm, you can just lean back and enjoy the show, right? Like you know that you are being perfectly taken care of. So when things are confusing all around us, when we're looking out and it's like, oh man, this is, this is a doozy. This is a good one. Yeah. He's just, he's just not going to protect us from the storm, but he will keep us safe in it. Yeah. Okay. So Joy, let's talk about, um, I want to talk about barriers first. We talked a lot about control, so I don't know. We might be done here. Maybe not. But let's talk about barriers to control. What about like everyday? Let's talk about everyday life, Catherine. You're so good at like bringing it down to practicality. Let's talk about the things in our everyday lives that keep us from experiencing joy. And then let's shift to things that facilitate it. So barriers. Barriers to joy. Let me think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Um. I think sometimes my to-do list is a barrier mm-hmm. to joy because I can get sucked into making sure that I check all the boxes off the list. Yeah. I mean, we have six kids, so we're 18 to 5, one's in College Station mm-hmm. um, in yeah. Aggieland. Yeah. And so it's, I feel very productive and very like, okay, when I complete these things, then I will be able right. to address the joy or the happiness, oh, or the awesomeness right. of my vocation. Yeah. But I must get these things done first. Uh-huh. Sort of like when your child comes in the door and they're like, hey, mom, and they want to tell me about their day. And I'm like, hey, hold on just one second. I need to answer these three emails. And I'm like, yeah. seriously, Catherine? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're still going to be there. But my default uh-huh. is to always take care of the list. Yeah. And then I can be 
you know, flexible. Yeah. When really. I mean, and then, and then we go to bed depleted by all the wrong things. Well, because then I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, instead of looking at the day of, oh, I had this great conversation with my 15 yeah. year old or, oh, this, this conversation was really great or, oh, this little thing that we did, this book that we read or this activity that we did with the kids, super fun. Instead, I'm like, well, but there were those three phone calls that I didn't like, yeah. that I didn't get done. And that, you know, insurance bill that I didn't get resolved, that's yeah. still weighing on me. And, and I think that we think, okay, if I can fit in one more thing, that it doesn't cost us. You know, like, if I can, okay, it's just, it's just one phone call, or it's just one meeting, or it's just one, one more errand, or, you know, we're trying to maximize this time. But it does cost us. We live with too hectic of a pace, too chaotic of a schedule. There's no rest. There's no joy. Well, and we... We determine our worth based on what we accomplish. Absolutely. Not on what we're just being present for. That's right. Because it's so much easier on Instagram to be like, and these are the seven things that I accomplished today, mm-hmm. than it is to just show a picture of you sitting on the couch with your child. Because how, yeah. that's not getting things done. That's just, right. whatever. That's just a cute picture of you yeah, and your daughter. That's good. I think that we, and, and then we don't allow ourselves to say no. Like we just continue to say yes to all the things because we have our list. And Too we many have our, yeses. Talk to me about that. Well, I have a saying and I know I can say it on here. Like, is it a hell yes or is it a no? Like, yeah. I think that if we started putting things into two categories, it's a no. Thank you very much. But no. Mm-hmm. And hell yes, I will totally do that. I mean, I would much rather someone tell me no than to tell me yes and then be a pain in the ass because we can't get anything done. Right. Because they've got too many other things to do. And I've done that. I've been that person. And so when you start transforming it and saying, oh my gosh, hell yes, I will totally do that. They're all in. Yeah. They like believe it. And you can't be a hell yes to every social justice issue. That's every right. Like you have to find your lane and your season That's and right. where does God want you to go. That's right. And then do it, like yeah. make it your hell yes. And then say no to some really good stuff, but that's okay. Cause that's, okay. that's somebody else's hell exactly. yes. Exactly. Yes. And you got to let that go. You got to let control of that go. And then you can live the life that God wants you to live. But if you continue to live at a pace where your family life is frantic, it's four o'clock. I mean, I talk to people all the time and they're like, oh my gosh, I put in my second day job at four o'clock and we've got this, this, and this, and this support. I'm like, dude, why are you doing that to right. yourself? Right. You don't, that... You don't have to do that. Yeah. It's a big fat lie. Yeah. Don't do yeah. it. And young moms, I know as a young mom, I felt like I had to do it. And then I finally got smart. Yeah. I grew up and I'm like, well, that was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so now we don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big hell yes kind of Isn't guy. Isn't it great being over 40? It is. It's, it's awesome. So good. If, I wish if, I would have been born 40. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life. I, my nice. prayer life is better. I'm a better mom. I'm a better wife. Yeah. But... That, that took time. Didn't it? And it took hard lessons. It's the slow work of God. I mean... Have you read that? No. Okay. I'm going to find it because you need to link, link it in the show notes. It's a letter that um, was written, um, and I'm going to butcher this, but basically the, 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 the take-home message is trusting in the slow work of God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find it, and yeah. I wish I had it on my phone to read yes. it to you, but it's so... It was free. And I feel like slow change is real change, too. There's that. Um, I, okay, so so we talked about control and our need to control. We talked about kind of a hectic pace. But I feel like with the hell yes, I feel like what that's tapping into is if you can say hell yes to it, then there is obviously a passion underneath 
Because isn't isn't doesn't that what isn't that what the phrase hell yes captures? Is your passion for it? Like it's not just a yes. It's not just a yes, it's a hell yes. Like yeah. yes, I want to do that. So there there's passion behind that. It makes your if you're sprinting in your lane with a hell yes, your strides a little longer, your lungs are a little more. You know, there you have capacity for that because of your passion. So in that way, his burden is light. Like I have this analogy. <laughs> I actually think I talked about it at Genius. But talking about I've always wanted to be a runner. I want to be a runner so bad. And I'm just not a runner. I cuss and I pant and I heave and other people are praying deep prayers and I'm just asking why he hates me. Like So you're a boxer. Right? So I'm a boxer. So I start boxing. And all of a sudden, it's a hell yes. Like, I love this. Am I necessarily any good at it? Not really. I just enjoy it. So the Lord has given us proclivities. We have, you know, we have gifts and talents that he wants us to use, and they don't need to make any sense. But if you were to ask me why I like boxing so much, I would say because it's so hard. But if you were to ask me why I hate running so much, I would say because Because it's it's so so hard. So hard isn't it? And that's that's not it. It's your passion. It's your proclivity. It's what he made you to do. So f- last week um, we were in um, College Station for Mass at St. Mary's, and Father Greg said something that has stuck with me, and I think maybe stick with me for a long time. He said, "Great stories are not written about easy things." Mm, I like that. You know, he was yeah. saying that some of the best stories in the Bible in our lives are written about challenges. He said, we are a people who yearn to be challenged. Yeah, it's true. We were made to work. Yes. Yeah. We were made to be challenged and we were made to discern where God wants us and then to put everything that we have into it. Because I feel like it's almost like a slap in the face to God. Like God's like, okay, so I created you, like literally created you. (laughs) I gave you all the things that you have in your life. Why are you just why are you just so passe? Why why yes. are you not like, like if I gave you all these things, then obviously I see great potential in you. Like give yeah. it your all. Like yeah. this is like the 12th man situation here. Like yes. I'm going to need you to stand up and get busy. Yeah. Like we can't I just, we can't just sit around and be woeful about, oh, my body can't do this. My mind can't do this. My finances can't do this. But there are lots of things that you can do. And Jesus mm-hmm. asks you to do like give it all because I don't know. When you do that, the provisions that you need somehow magically appear. Absolutely. And it's not magic. It's faithfulness. That's right. Because I think that what happens is we end up standing at the bottom of this mountain and we're looking to the top of this mountain and we're going, I can't do that. And the Lord is asking us to take one step of a yes at a time. Yes, 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 yes. What he's saying is, watch what we can do together. I mean, co-laboring, that's such an honor. Isn't and don't look at your buddy next to you no. who's been hiking for 20 years. Yeah. They're going to get their butt up the mountain a lot faster than you are. I have yes. a great friend. She's a runner. Um, and she said, we may not be running the same race, but we're running parallel. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. She's a runner. I'm a bar gal. Like, not like, well, that's oh. not that's not wrong. I do like beer. Very much, but um, <laughs> bar is in B A R R E. So that's that's my thing. But we're running, you know, we're we're yeah. as women. I think we need to remember that we're running parallel. Yeah. The it. the mission and the end game is the same, but the journey there is yeah. very different. And do you do you enjoy it? Are you enjoying the race that you run? I think so many times, um, you know, you mentioned outcome. It's outcome. It's what you can produce. It's what people can see. Are you liking the process? 
Do you like what you're doing? Do you like how you're spending your days? Because if you don't, there's something different. There is something different for you. Yeah, you got to cut out the middleman and cut out the stuff that's not building you up. You know, maybe that's an activity that you said yes to, social media time. You know, maybe you're spending too much time with friends and not enough time with your family. I don't know what that is, but you got to cut it out. It's sort of like extracting you know, excising the wound, get that out yeah. and then figure out, okay, so now I can be productive. Now I can be joyful. Yeah. Now I can see that even though the journey may still be hard, but I'm no longer held back by that thing. Yeah. It's great. Um, okay. Any other barriers to joy before we move on to enhancers? Maybe social media. Ooh. In what way? I mean, I agree. I mean, here, here I we wanna, are on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> you can download on Stitcher, iTunes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it can it can totally suck your joy mm-hmm. because, well, obviously, you know, the old quote of comparison is the thief of joy, but it's a, it's like fake news. It's not real. Yeah. What you're seeing on the screen has to be buoyed by real life relationships and connections. Yes. So I think that sometimes we can, I know we, I can go down this rabbit hole of I was super joyful and in a good place yeah. and then I started down the social media path and 20 minutes later I'm eating chocolate and drinking Dr. Pepper and feeling sorry for myself. I'm like, right. how'd that happen? <laughs> I'm sorry. This escalated quickly. <laughs> I was like, that was a really cute Instagram picture that I took of my Dr. Pepper and chocolate and now I'm crying on the, on the in the middle of the room. What happened here? So I think... I know that sometimes, I know that when that happens that quickly, like in 20 minutes, I'm like, and we need to lock off social media for it's a little bit. It's a flashing bit. light on the dashboard, right? Yes. Yeah. An indicator. The engine light's on, like, yeah. we're about to break down here. And, I mean, obviously, social media can do awesome things, and I'll talk about how great it can be, but I think sometimes we forget to ignore those signs, and we think, yeah. well, if, maybe if I just go down the rabbit hole just a little bit deeper, that maybe I'll feel better, and you don't feel better. No. It doesn't help you. Yeah. Um, and it's designed to be addictive. Yes. So there's a lot of... I have teenagers. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. If we don't... If you get in this cycle of this is just how I spend this amount of time per day, if you don't step your foot outside of that spinning cycle to make it stop, you can easily just end up this becoming your routine. This yeah. is my routine. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it can take the place of... Things that used to give you joy. That's right. Because it robs you of your your joy. Um, And I think it has to be done in moderation. I mean, I can always tell uh, when I have to be, when I have to pull myself out because I'm like, clearly I'm not the best version of myself, as Matthew Kelly would say, because I'm not, I'm not here for pure and true reasons. You know what we can, I think we can tell ourselves is that I deserve a break and I need some self-care. And so I'm just going to stare at my phone for this amount of time. I feel worse after it. 100% 100% of the time yeah. after staring at my phone. And I think that goes back to what we were saying, that we were just, we were made to work. I don't, I haven't struggled with jealousy or envy in a long time, every single glory to God. Um, I think it's because I'm doing, I'm doing this and I love this. Um, so I haven't struggled with that in a long time. But what I've noticed is that as I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I'm completely immune. So I don't know how to make that right. Like with. <laughs> <laughs> just keep talking. Just keep <laughs> Hear my heart, people. <laughs> um, maybe on small scale things, but not large scale. Like, I'm not wishing for anyone else's. I love my life. I love the things that God made me. I've made a lot of peace with what God has made me good at. And I've um, done a lot the, of work. Back to the 40s. 40s are good. Yeah, exactly. And I've done a lot of work with what I'm not good at. And there's a lot of calm acceptance with that. 
what I'm trying to say is that when I engage with social media, I'm not necessarily jealous, jealous of other people's vacations or things like that or how they might look or what their talents are. It's not that. But when I'm engaged in someone else's joy, I'm not, I've got my own joy happening over here that I'm not experiencing because I'm in someone else's, right. you know? I mean, and, and so I think that's new. I think that's a small thing. I think that's nuanced, but it's a very real thing for me. Like I have my own life to live here. People i have been living y'all's for 35 minutes too long. Right. You, know? <laughs> you were great 25 minutes ago. I really should have bowed out. Yeah. Um, what about what about things that facilitate your joy? What about things that that help you lean into it? Um, like practical things or prayer things? Both. Both practical things. I want to know all the things you think, Catherine. <laughs> you went inside <laughs> my brain. Um, well, spiritual prayer things. Um, so I grew up Protestant, and I love me a good praise and worship song. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really good at my car, just in case you're wondering. Oh, gosh, me too. Pretty you sure. You turn it up just loud enough? I sound great. I'm pretty sure that um, Chris Tomlin's going to come knock on my door and be like, so I have this new record coming out, <laughs> and I really want you to sing in it. I was next to you at the stoplight, <laughs> and... You were terrible, but way to sing with joy. Um, I just, I don't know. That's how I communicate with Jesus. Yeah, that and writing. Those two things for me mm-hmm. are... Cathartic, and then um, time in front of the tabernacle, um, mm-hmm. in front of the Blessed Sacrament, for me, um, yeah. is just mind-clearing. So, spiritually, that's yeah. how I get it. Yeah. Um, I love the juxtaposition of those, and, and they're seemingly opposites. Like, seemingly opposite ways to worship, you know? Because I, I love a good, rowdy praise and worship song. I am my truest self in my car, and I think it's because no one's looking. Which, by the way, gets the best of me and the worst of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure the people <laughs> on I-35 are like, oh, and now I can't hide because we have this big old 12-passenger van. They're like, yeah, oh, we've gosh. seen you around town. So now, like, people be like, hey, Catherine, I saw you driving. I'm like, oh, my God, did I have Y2K country up? And I was blasting George Strait. You know, what What was it that they saw? Oh, was well. it gangster rap? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but then that side. Silence, that like deep, you know, reverential peace that comes in, in solitude with Jesus. Yeah. I was actually just at the tabernacle last night. Um, just needed a minute. I was yeah. like, just need, and I'm um, selfish with Jesus. Like whenever I go to adoration, I'm always like, I'm going to need everyone to clear out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's Start not. Start spreading out your stuff, your paraphernalia. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine's in the house. You guys later. I got it. Jesus and I are good. Um, but I prefer that 2 a.m. time. We used to have an adoration oh, chapel, yeah. perpetual uh-huh. near us. We don't anymore. Yeah. But boy, I like that. Yeah. And then on the it's way home, I'll bust out, you know, yeah. Matt Moore on the radio. Yes. Um, okay. So prayer. Good. All right, Practical. Prayer. Practical. Um, this is so fun, by the way. I love you. You're so great. <laughs> Practical. Um, I'm a I'm a designer by nature. So whether it's uh, graphic design or okay. designing a good dessert table. Oh, okay. Did not know this about you. I'm a big partier. Like I love uh-huh. making people feel loved uh-huh. by the details. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love when you walk into someone's home that you feel like it that they prepared it just for you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be fancy, but like just yeah. the details, like uh-huh. maybe your name's written somewhere or they, your favorite flower or whatever. Like that's how I let yeah. people know that I love them. Oh, that's so sweet. for that's me, that's, that's, um, that's the Southerner. In me. <laughs> so I think, I think, um, experiencing joy by creating beautiful things yeah. is, 
I, I don't know if that's a love language, yeah. but I'm going to make it mine. Yeah. No, I it's mean, not in Gary Cha- that's right? not in Gary Chapman's book. <laughs> I read that book and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm all of them. <laughs> I'm so high maintenance. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I, you know, I, that's a charism. Totality. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's mine for sure. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love. So loving people the way that you are gifted to love. Yeah. It's going to be a joy giver for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there, I'm, I'm no happier than when I have a house full of people that I have spent time. It drives my husband crazy. Yeah. He's like, why does it matter how the lemonade's labeled? And I'm like, because it matters. It matters. It matters to me. Yeah. And even, I remember we had a birthday party once and it was for one of my girls and one of her little friends came up and was like, Miss Whitaker, I love all the details. And I'm like, Thank you for noticing. Someone noticed, but it, but I'm not I'm not doing it because I want someone to notice it. But boy, did it feel good to have someone like sure. feel me like sure that yes. 11 year old girl really uh-huh. boosted me uh-huh. up that day, and <laughs> she didn't even know it. But it was it's um I don't know mm-hmm. I love it I love making people feel loved. Mm-hmm. You know it's I love how differently God made us because that is probably last on my list. <laughs> That's okay. That's why you're friends with <laughs> and me. And it is okay. That's, that was my exact point, is that I get to say I'm in a circumstance where I need to have people over. Catherine. <laughs> and I would, hell yes. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, what else? So loving people the way that you were created to love. And by the way, I need to carve out time for prayer. I need to carve out time to worship. I need to carve out time to be silent and to be still. Um, and I think it's just about, because people always tell me, Catherine, I don't have time. I'm like, I think it's just about being intentional like with where you are. So like if I'm mm-hmm. in the car by myself, mm-hmm. instead of sitting at the stoplight scrolling through my phone, yeah. I can choose to listen to praise and worship. I can choose to right. say a decade of the rosary. Yep. I can choose to pray for somebody that asked for me to pray for them. And that takes 30 seconds, a yeah. minute. and then Somebody lot- you don't like. And then the light turns red and green, and then you move on about your day. But yeah. I think I think it's just about a matter of being mindful about how you can be present to Jesus in that particular moment. That's good. Yeah. And that requires work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It requires you to stop being lazy and just do the default of the exactly. easy thing. Exactly. There's you have to be present. Yeah. Yeah. There's pilot. I had, a, I had there? a friend who said that she always put. Uh, either religious art or encouraging quotes in places where she felt like she could check out. Like when she was washing dishes and she would look up and she would see the morning offering and be like, okay, so now I'm going to offer this for this or in the laundry room, you know, spend a little bit of time in the laundry room with six kids. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. I don't know. It's weird. (laughs) Some people spend time in the laundry room, but I loved that that, uh, because I'm a visual Mm -hmm. person. So Mm -hmm. for me, I was like, oh, those are good visual cues. And then, I mean, it reminds us of why, early churches were so ornate because mm. people looked to those examples yeah. to be inspired. Yeah. So I thought that was a good reminder is, that maybe great. I need to fill my home, not to let people know that I love Jesus, but to remind me of who I need to be praising yeah. during the day. It's good. So I think when we're intentional in those little moments throughout our day, it also encourages us to be intentional about the big parts of family life. Yeah. And not everyone listening to this is married, but it, we all have a day that needs to be filled with intention. And for us, I think I finally, after we had Luke and our preemie and the world got like flipped on its head, Mm -hmm. then we had to say like, what does God really want us to do here? And how is he asking us to serve him? And that meant 
you know, the, the no's and the hell yeses and all that, but it also meant like how, what kind of family culture are we building in our home? Like what, you know, now that our son's off in college, I can't tell you how many times I sat in the living room looking at him before he left for college thinking, were we intentional enough? Mm. I'm going to take a minute. Mm. <laughs> you know, did we, did we show him who to reach out to when he needs help? Did we foster um, a culture of prayer in our home? Mm-hmm. Um, did we make him feel loved even though he made mistakes? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you think about intention it's easy to think about, oh, did I get my to-do list done today? But, but ultimately in, in life and in marriage and in family, I wanted my kids to know that my intention was always with Jesus, yeah. like to get them to heaven. So all those little things that we think that nobody saw or that yeah. nobody cared about, you yeah. know, in that moment, like as I'm watching him like pack up his trunk for college, I'm like, they mattered. Yeah. They mattered. When, even when I didn't think they mattered. And I think that we get away from being intentional in our family because either it's too hard or we don't think it's important enough. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's specifically directed to, to moms in the trenches right now who think that the little things that they do don't matter. Mm. I'm here to tell you, you know, as a college mama, they matter. Mm. They really matter, and somebody sees them. Yeah. I think it was, um, I think it was Danielle Bean. Uh, so she's mom of, I think they have eight or nine. I always forget, but... She made this comment. She said, my hope is that as my children were packing their bags for college, that they were also packing up the life lessons of our family and taking those mm. with them. Jeez. That's good stuff. It's really good. Yeah, I feel like I'm just outside of, I've been a parent for a decade, and I feel like I'm just entering into these very merciful years that are after I call toddler. them sanctifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But there's this merciful time that's that's after toddler and before teenager. Yes. And so this is a really easy time. You know, I... I um, they still tell you that they love you and they hold your hand. Yes. They still want to cuddle. Um, they're not ignoring me quite yet. I mean, you know, not, not in a really broody kind of way. Only in a get your shoes on <laughs> <laughs> kind of way. <laughs> but I am really... I was teary while you were talking because we're in a really sweet spot right now. Yeah. You know, and, and I just, I want to capitalize on that. Um, I feel like they're all in a, at an age now where they're all going to remember this. I feel like I spent so much time, like, trying to locate the barf smell or trying to figure <laughs> out how to be left alone or whatever, you know. Like, there was all this time, and I was, I'm taking them to the pet store for entertainment, you know. You're, like, you're looking at the clock. You're meeting your, your husband at the door, like, with the baby as he walks <laughs> in from work, you know. But there was there were all these really hard things, and I was I was working so hard, and I I remember sitting in my car by myself. I was kind of slumped over the steering wheel at the time, and I remember thinking, they're not even going to remember any of this. <laughs> like all this love that I'm putting in, all this effort, they're not even going to remember but nobody it. Nobody cares, and yeah, nobody cares. Number one, that's a lie. It Number is. two, these little moments build up to these big moments. And so now I'm in this sweet spot where it's like, no, they are going to remember this. They are going to remember this date or this vacation or this celebration or this funny moment, you know, or this thing that we can't quit laughing about. And so I don't think that we would be here if we weren't there first. Sure. It all, it all and, and now that goes together. Now that you're entering into the next season, you know, as I look... Now, I mean, it is the sweet spot of having a young adult who challenges you, but mm-hmm. also is super funny to be around. And like, there's <laughs> things that you can talk about with your 18 year old that you cannot talk about with your 10 year old. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome. It's also, um, 
it's also really sanctifying because now we're in a season of having to love and not necessarily get thanks back just yet. Right. Yeah. And and to love, um, despite the bad choices, to love despite you know the the letting go and the transition, that you just I think I'm having to remind myself every day to just lean into it. Yeah. And I've had as a result of that, I've had some really beautiful discussions with my own mom. Hmm. Yeah. Because as the oldest, I left and everything chugged at home, but I wasn't yeah. there. You know, I wanted right. to live my life. Now that I'm the mom and my oldest has left, and now I'm seeing the collateral damage that happens when the oldest mm-hmm. leaves. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, yeah. Yeah. but no, it's just... boy, do I have a whole new perspective and an added admiration for my own parents. Mm. And I guess I thought I was past like being thankful and grateful for lessons that my parents had taught me. And I think what I'm realizing is I'm just now learning how to be thankful and grateful for the lessons that my parents taught yeah. me. Yeah, wow. Isn't life thick? This is amazing. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. I mean, joy matters. If the Holy Spirit is alive and well and living inside of us, then shouldn't our lives look different? I mean, it should look different. And so I'm like listening to you talking about the daily aspects of your life or even the big picture moments of your life, and it looks different. So praise God for that. I um, I think that a lot of times, just as we've been talking about, we can just abide by the standard status quo, but a joyful heart, regardless of our circumstances, shines true. And the truth is, is that we have a world that's watching and they should look at our church. They should look at us. They should look at how we're living and they should be intrigued. There should be something about us that says, I don't know what's going on over there, but I want in. And I just think that there are so many people looking at how you're living your life going, I don't know what's going on over there, but I want in. So thank you so much. Come on over. I've got some laundry to do. (laughs) Okay. Well, tell us about your book because you just wrote a book and I want to, I want to end with that and directing people and how to get it. What's, what's it about? So I'll, I'll start with this. So we have a sign in our office called a grateful heart silence is a complaining voice. And that was a quote from Bishop Gerber, who is a former bishop in Wichita, Kansas. He's passed away now, but the book is about uh, being grateful for the hard stuff. So it's called Live Big, Love Bigger. Hmm. But the tagline's my favorite, getting real with barbecue sweet tea and a whole lot of Jesus. <laughs> and very Texan. So essentially I talk about Luke, who was our preemie. Hmm. And he rocked our world. And then what does that practically look like? And I tackle some universal things like body image and authentic friendship and relationships and family time, whether it be the vacations or whatever. And so in the book, I share a little bit about what life was like before Luke. And then we had our big earthquake. And then what does life look like now? But my hope is that people would read that. They'd see some bits and pieces of our story and be able to say, yeah, I see that in my own life. Or Mm -hmm. I see how that can work. And I want to know Jesus better because of that. And I'm sassy in there. I mean, clearly, if you can't tell on this. So who you hear here is who you will read in the book. I think Ave Maria Press, who is the publisher, allowed me to really be me. And I was grateful for that because how can you write a book on authentic living if your voice is not authentic? Sure. So I do say hell in the book. They love me say (laughs) So it's, uh, it was, I loved writing it. Every single bit of it, Allison. I loved it. It was a one big long love letter and prayer to Jesus mm-hmm. in hopes that other people might know him better. Mm. Amen. Where can you get it? So you can go to Amazon, all the places that you can get books, but I'd probably choose Amazon if I was there. If you're a prom gal, you know, two days and it's at your doorstep. 
Awesome. Thank you, Catherine. We know that God is bigger than our hardship. And sadly, we're not immune um, to hardship, but our lives are looking different because we know as Christians that we have already been given every single thing that we need, and you live that out so well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yay. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Go. Hi, Beefinator. It's season five. It's season five. Congratulations, beefy, beefy. Yeah, thanks. It's crazy. Okay, this is a really good question from a listener. Are you ready for it? As ready as I'll ever be. I love it. Um, it's it's kind of more for me than you, but you always I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> you always have thoughts. Okay, it says this. It says, "Hi, Allison. I am a Protestant fan of the show. Respectfully." You always know something good is coming after respectfully. Uh -huh. <laughs> respectfully. I'd like to ask you a question about Catholicism, if I may. Why is the crucifix with Jesus's body on the cross such a prominent part of the physical space of the Catholic Church? Wow. You know what immediately popped into my head? You walking down the aisle towards a gigantic beautiful crucifix i remember <laughs> like having that thought then of just like those two things combined the beauty and the pain of that moment so i'm glad to hear your answer well i love this answer i love this question thank you listener for asking it um i feel like there are a lot of times you know mountaintop experiences where i can feel secure of my beliefs i can have confident like recitation of scripture but then in experiences of, of pain or experiences of grief, um, that part of my faith, it looks a little different. And to be able to connect to God in that space, um, you know, a lot of times I, I can find like theological gaps where it's like times where I'm struggling or times when, when it's hard, I can become aware of how limited my my knowledge is or how small my understanding of, the, of this great, great, great God. But I feel like sometimes our, or at least my happy, clappy upbringing in Sunday school or whatever, it can set me up to be really unfamiliar with the reality of life, which is, it's hard, <laughs> you know? Right, and so right. when I look at that crucifix, I see the reality of what we're promised that this is going to be hard and you can connect with me there too. And to me, it feels so intimate and so grounding. Um, it also, it goes along with the Bible. I mean, so many of the Psalms are lamentations and it's like, okay, I have language for this now. You know, we're not right. trying to avoid pain. We're not trying to like skirt these, these gritty details of what, what life is really like, which is often deep pain. So I look at the cross I see deep pain and I know in a way that this is what is prescribed. Like this right. is what this life is about. And sure, like my privilege, my American dream, the prosperity gospel, you know, right. all of those things give us a backwards idea of what it means to be blessed when mm -hmm. really Jesus was super clear in the Beatitudes, 
what is true, what it truly is to be blessed. And so it makes sense because of all those things, it makes sense that we don't understand it. So I get it. But to be countercultural is to look at the cross and see God there too. So I love it. I love that, that physical reminder. Right. That's really, really good. Um, it makes me think about, it's just a really good question for me right now. This year, literally like a year to this day has just been really heavy, um, losing my dad and having a foster daughter that was with us for a really long time move and walking with a really, really difficult time with a friend. And just a lot of things have made this year really difficult. And I realized that I just don't, um, allow myself sometimes to sit in an uncomfortable, difficult moment because there's so much joy around me. I'm so blessed. There's so many good things to focus on. And so I don't want to just, you know, allow myself to be sad or down or grieve or whatever, because it's almost like, I feel that that's insulting to the Lord to focus on those things instead of all the joy that he's given me or joyful things. And I feel like this year has been just kind of like what you're saying, like, no, it's both. And there's an opportunity to draw near in those more difficult times. Um, and it's just, you know, not healthy to not process and experience the, the darker parts of life too. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's something that I'm like actively learning I hear the right word now. Permission. I hear the word permission yeah. in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. Um, it also makes me think about, as you know, we just got back from a fabulous, unbelievable, spontaneous vacation, which is spontaneous vacations don't happen in my life. And the reason why it happened is that I heard a sermon about how the enemy will just put these things on your mind and in your heart and um, just just to try to bring you down. And that's something that I kind of knew, but what or I had thought through before, but the new part that I heard was and the goal is to steal your joy and to, and to keep you from doing the God-given things that give you joy. And so what I was able to see is that I had been telling myself that, you know, everybody's busy. Um, everybody's got a lot going on. You don't, you don't need a break more than anybody else. Um, we just, we have so, so much. And so you don't need to, um, need to take time to fill your cup. But then what I realized was by being so busy, by being so overwhelmed in the season, I was losing the joy of some of our callings, which is fostering. And that's um, a really hard thing to say out loud and uncomfortable thing to say out loud for a lot of reasons. But um, it's just been a difficult season. And so by acknowledging that those voices or those things that I was telling myself are going to be the things that end up burning me out and taking away the joy of fostering, Mm -hmm. I was able to quash them. And we went on this vacation and we refilled our cups and we came back just with a completely different like brain space um, and definitely reclaimed the joy of our calling. And it was just such a huge blessing, but I could not have gotten to the joy without acknowledging um, the the heaviness and, and yeah, the where you were that were happening as well. Yeah. Leaning. Right. Yeah. Leaning into the discomfort of it. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. Well, thanks beef. Love you. Have a great Have day. You look super cutie. <laughs> thanks. Bye. See you later. I've never met anyone like Mary. Well, technically I've never met Mary. 
You see we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. A number of years ago, my personal motto was joy regardless. I firmly believed in finding the good in every situation. I saw silver linings everywhere and tried to encourage others to do so as well. Yeah, I was obnoxious. I had no idea how this model would become important to me. Throughout this past year, I've gone through a deep depression. The death of both of my parents in under a year, as well as a number of other personal losses, affected me deeply. We often think of depression as making us sad, and my mood was certainly low, but it was also flattened out. More than anything, I felt nothing. I couldn't laugh, but I couldn't cry either. I felt numb to everything, good or bad. This was not a comforting or safe feeling. It was extremely depressing to watch my life go by and not feel anything at all about it. It was during this time that it became important to practice gratitude, to name the joy around me that I couldn't actually feel. I had previously always thanked God daily for my family, my life, my many blessings. Naming them when I couldn't feel the joy they brought was a challenge. But the challenge kept me grounded and kept me from further despair. I sometimes had to start very small, saying thank you to God for a good-smelling soap in the kitchen or for a butterfly on a walk. I learned to rely on what I knew, that there was a lot in my life to be thankful for, rather than what I felt, which was a flat plane of nothingness. Slowly, with the help of doctors, I started to feel a bit better, and feelings of sincere happiness began to emerge. But I won't forget what it's like to truly rely on what I know, that God is good, that there is joy everywhere, regardless. Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and be Dear God, your word tells us to be joyful always, but sometimes that takes strength and perspective that we don't have. So God, please grant us the wisdom to know that happy feelings are not a requirement to joy. And please help us to recognize threats to our joy and help us to employ strategies against what robs us. The strength that we need is in Jesus Christ. It is his grace that provides us strength. And it's in his powerful and holy name that we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And oft escaped the tempter's by thy return. Sweet And for this episode, a special thank you to Katherine Whitaker. Head over to Amazon to pick up your copy of Live Big, Love Bigger.
Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Thank you to Kristen Kelly and Mary Bishop. For more of Mary's writing, head to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com. Center Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.